Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. So appreciate Clayton and Lindsay, Wes, Janae, and as our commissioners, just uh, love and beg on our our community, on these students, our coaches, and uh, one image that was just sticking in my mind is to think about chasing humility. The last game of the season, the big goal is get all the jerseys back, and so we throw all the jerseys onto a table, and there's this smelling mess of, of uh, <laughs> sweat, what have you, and... Uh, that night, Wes and uh, Clayton stuck around, and they washed all those jerseys upstairs, but it was their uh, end-of-the-year debrief season, and as they're washing jerseys late into the night, I think they went to Mickey D's and got something to eat and came back, they're uh, asking, how can we do better? How can this league improve? How can we go good, better, best for God's glory? And just so appreciate them. Before each game, they give a mini-sermon, which I, how many times I've thought, Man, we just need to have them preach that on Sunday. <laughs> it's like three to five minutes, and all of you would say, Amen. Let's do that. Short, sweet, good. <laughs> but, uh, but so appreciate um, Wes and Janae's, or Wes and uh, Clayton, and Janae and Lindsay. All right, well, let's dig into our, uh, our theme this year is Chasing Humility, our current message series. We're looking at the life and teaching of Jesus. And, uh, one of the goals this year has been, as we process life and the circumstances that God sovereignly and providentially brings our way, to be doing so with the lens of, okay, this is a chasing humility moment that God's given me versus something to uh, shy away from and, and uh, just become bitter over or frustrated with. So a couple examples came to my mind, and, and it's been neat to hear this kind con- as I'm listening to people talk, it's, I'm hearing this. Hey, it's a, a chasing humility moment or opportunity to grow in humility. Uh, Joe Stewart blew a bicep um, recently, and so he had to have surgery. Joe is a uh, police officer, appreciate his service for us, but he loves his job. He's a, he leads his SWAT team and is a gifted sniper. And so he, he loves being out there on the front lines protecting us, and when there's trouble, being the guy that's leading the team to, to bring resolution to it. But now, he uh, was talking with him this week, he's looking at at least three to possibly six months of having to do a desk job. And man, you talk about just agony for this guy who, who lives to be, um, lives for the action. And but what he, as we were talking about it, he said, hey, chasing humility, chasing humility. And so, it, that, that's a big thing. There are lots of little things that happen to us in our everyday lives. I, one example for me happened this fall. I was out um, one evening, just uh, walk jogging the golf course, and a couple caught me from behind. I'm let, so I let them go by, and as they walked by, the, the gentleman, super friendly couple, he's, he sticks out his hand and says, Hi, Pastor John McDougall. I'm like, rolling through the Rolodex. I don't know this guy. I don't know them. And then they said, We watch your church um, often. We love your church service. And I was like, oh, and then it, it occurred to me, uh-oh, this is what fame feels like. Strangers know your name. It, it's happening. And, and I started feeling that, LeBron, I get you. You, you know, this is it, it's just tough. People coming up to you. Well, they went on to say, 
We love Wes and the worship team. But we listen to another preacher. And off they go into the sunset. (laughs) And so I'm processing that with the Lord walking down the fairway. And I'm like, that hurt. I mean, I'm just picking. Lord, did you hear what she said? They shut me off. Like just. "Mm." And as I'm telling the Lord my pain, he's not talking back. All I picture is a big smile from heaven. He's smiling, and, and the thought, and I, and I began to laugh as well as I pictured him saying, hey, John, are we chasing humility or are we not? <laughs> and that moment was a gift. You needed it because you are enjoying strangers knowing your name way too much. And you know that the beauty of humility moments is as long as God gives us our memory, we can go back to him and draw strength. And I know this year I've thought... Back to that moment um, several times and just, and Lord, thank you. Um, and let my passion be the glory of your name and, and to seek that with all my heart. And forgive me for, uh, for desiring human approval. All right, well, today we, uh, we talk about humility moments. This is one of those moments as our Lord is confronting the religious leaders of the day. Creator, speaking into the, create, the creature's uh, unchecked pride, And what Jesus does is ramps up to his rhetoric, roundhouse, woe, 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 woe to you. Seven times he hits them with a woe, you hypocrites. We hit the last four this past week. Today we look at the, the or we hit the first four. Today we look at the final three. And the question that still hangs in the air, will they respond, humble themselves to him and what he's saying and avoid their biggest regret? And so Matthew 23 Verses uh, 25 to 32 is where we'll be this morning. If you would join me there and we'll read through the text and then we'll break it down. Jesus says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had been alive in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. Three observations flow out of this text that help us chase humility. The first one is this. God calls us to prioritize the purity of our heart. The priority or the focus of our lives must be the purity of our hearts. And verse 25, 26 is where we see this. As he says, what are you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You clean the outside of the cup dish and dish, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. Jesus is actually using a, a, there was a current debate going on between two camps of Pharisees as to how clean a dish needed to be. Was it clean if you just clean the inside or did it need to be cleaned inside, outside? But he's using this as a picture of, of our lives and their lives, of, 
Um, outside you look really good, but inside there's greed, self-indulgence. The idea of greed there is materialism, living for stuff. And we feel that, don't we? It's the air we breathe here in our, our uh, culture. Self-indulgence is the idea of chasing pleasure and just living hedonistically one pleasure after another is, is what we're pursuing. And he says, uh, blind Pharisee first, so here's the priority or where God calls us to, to focus our attention. First, the inside, clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside will also be clean. So the starting point for us as we think about what matters to God and, and living a life that's pleasing to him, God looks at the heart, doesn't he? He's saying, start with the heart. Ask the question, what's going on inside? And it raises the question for us today, even as we respond to God's word, how is it with your heart? How is it with my heart? What is it that I'm living for? You know, what's owning my thoughts and my attention? Am I concerned with with the purity of my heart? Am I seeking first the kingdom of God versus all this stuff? Or am I living for pleasure rather than seeking my greatest pleasure in Him and and being satisfied in in Him as my great joy. I love how our Lord um, just amplifies this. Okay, start with the the dish and uses this picture we can identify with. You know, clean the inside, then the outside will be clean. Second observation that we see in this text is this. We tend to, as humans, we tend to prioritize the outside, the externals of our lives, rather than the, the internal. We see this in verses 27, 28. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside. You look so good. But on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Again, he's he's speaking into a a practice where they would regularly whitewash the tombs in in this culture. Now, if Israel, it's a rock-filled place, and Tombs would often become old and, and you wouldn't notice them. And the problem was if you walked near a tomb, you were declared unclean to go to the temple to worship. So for the sake of people coming from out of town to worship and didn't know where this, they would whitewash these tombs. They, they'd make them look really good on the outside. And Jesus picks up that picture and says, that's your life. He says, in the same way on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. As I thought about my own life, and as you think about yours, it, it is, and it's so true, our default mode is really, what do we worry about most? Is it, okay, what's going on inside, and what's the state of my heart and my character, and, or is it, what did they think, and how do I look to, to others? And I, I picture my heart is often like that closet at home that you know no one is ever going to see this closet. Maybe it's back in your bedroom. And how's that closet look? It's just a complete mess. And we'll get around to it someday, you know, someday. And I think our hearts often resemble that where people can't see what's going on inside. So we pay the most attention to the outside. We want to look good. We want to have it all, our image glossed. And we'll get around to our character. We'll get around to what's going on in here. But, but, do we really care that, that it's eroding and each action, each thought either builds or, or corrodes character? And the answer often I think we'd say is it's not our priority. We tend to focus on the external versus the internal. One of the top 10 books that's changed my life outside the Bible 
is this book by Gordon McDonald called Ordering Your Private World. And I, I read it when I was high school, college age, and it changed the direct trajectory of my life in that he, he really, uh, the big idea, it's Proverbs chapter 423 where Solomon writes, above all else. So prioritize above all else. Guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life or your life flows from your heart. And so he gives a, a, just great strategies and tools. But one of the pictures he paints that is so true is the outer, our outer world, if we put all our, our uh, focus on building the externals and we neglect the internal, there will be a day in our life when the pressures of the outer uh, of life, the pressures and stresses of life will be crushing and they will eventually crush the external structures. And if there's nothing, if we haven't uh, given due diligence to how it is with our soul, we will implode. There will be moral collapse, and we will not have the inner strength to, to, to see us through us, that season or that temptation or, or whatever, whatever it is we're going through. And so, man, it, this uh, early on, just said, okay, Lord, help me to prioritize my heart. But the message of this book is, um, to me, is far bigger than the words that are written in here. It's what happened to the guy who wrote it. And... Um, Several years after, Gordon McDonald wrote this book, and he is a gifted pastor, a gifted leader. He's a committed follower of Jesus. He actually was a seminary president. His world imploded, and he broke his marriage vow. He had an affair on his wife. And um, thankfully, he turned to the Lord. He repented, and, and he's a model of repentance, and God forgave him, and restored him and he's able to, to serve um, in leadership and, and all of that. But that rocked me when I heard that because he wrote the book. He knew all the right things. And so I found out that he was uh, going to be speaking at Grace College, giving a, a seminar to pastors. So I went, like, I want to know what happened. I want to hear this story. And I'm so thankful that he did not shy away from, uh, this, from, from what happened. And it was actually ministry where he was getting accolades from serving the body of Christ, and he, he was always trying to please his dad as well. His dad didn't give him the blessing, and so he's just grinding it out and then neglecting the, his inner world. And the, the day came when it was too much, and he turned to, um, he gave in to temptation. And he writes, he, he shared this. He says, um, in, the, in that moment of breakdown, God whispered to him, now you know what it's like to live out of an empty soul. The big takeaway, and it was neat to, to see, side note, just his love for the Lord and appreciation for God's grace had only grown. So he talked about his failure, and I so I went ahead and had him I don't normally have people sign my books because we're all just humans and there's one hero, and, but I had him sign it because he's a human like, who, like me, fails, and yet he... Um, responds, responded to the Lord, repented, and, and came back to him. And that meant so much. But, uh, but the big takeaway is we can know all the right things to do. But it doesn't mean we're doing it. You know? And, and it is so easy. I, I, I'm sure I felt it this past week. Perhaps you felt it to focus on the externals. You know? All the things people will see and and just get so busy. And we neglect the internal, what matters most, which is the state of our heart. 
That's why as a church family, we've, our fourth habit, of a five, we have five big habits that we say, okay, let's chase these together. The five core habits of a follower of Jesus, the fourth one is a daily meeting with Jesus where we meet with him in his word through prayer, we abide with him, and we ask those questions, Lord, how is it with my heart? Where's pride at work in me today? Um, what, what needs to change and, and help me? And we, we seek his help and allow him to do his work. The other um, rhythm, and along with the daily meeting, the daily meeting is the main one, but we also say, okay, let's live in a rhythm of a daily meeting, a weekly withdrawal, where once a week we do a, we're not under Sabbath law in the New Testament, but we uh, take an extended period of time to order our soul, and where you close the loop on the week. You look back, what did God do? What do I need to change? You look ahead to, uh, okay, where are you leading me, Lord? And you look up, Lord, fill me up for this next week. So a soul ordering time, so a Daily meeting, a weekly withdrawal, and then an annual retreat with the Lord, where you take a weekend, three days, you get alone in solitude or with your spouse, and you commit to friendship with God. You draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. And so that's, um, we've talked about that, but I've said, you know what, I've never done that with a group. And so one of the goals over the next few years, we want to start this um, annual retreat as a bit of a a mini movement among us, and uh, we're going to start in May, and we have spots for four couples. Tam and I, Doug and Abby Wicker, have already signed up, and then we're looking for four more couples who would go go away to a retreat center. It's May, I think, 19th, 20th, around there, and um, there will be a marriage enrichment focus to that, but if you, you're interested or would like to do that, let me know, and we'd love to, to have you. Third observation, though, as we look to this text, is we are all susceptible to making a horrible decision when fueled by pride. Verses 29 and 30 is where we see this. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So, have you ever done that? You know, like... We read the Bible, we read Israel, we read the judges like, ah, these idiots, how, how do they keep doing that? Glad that's not me and I would have never done that. That's what these religious leaders are doing, but in a very tangible way. They're going out, decorating the, the tombs and just like, oh man, boy, our ancestors, shame, shame, shame on them. Those guys, ah, I can't believe they did that. And what's Jesus say? So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and complete what your ancestors started. What's the irony in this moment? (laughs) You're going out and decorating these tombs saying, sure glad we're not like them. And you have the prophet standing in front of you and you are plotting to kill him. (laughs) So finish what they started. The prophet has arrived. And you're about to kill him, you blind hypocrites. But what's the warning to you and to me today? Man, these were committed people, smart people. These people knew their Bible probably way better than most of us know our Bible. But they missed the Messiah. Pride, man, we've all got it. It blinds us. And our hope is in our humility, responding to the word of God. 
Who's most susceptible to this in this room today? Paul says knowledge puffs up. So those of us who know the most, so we'll just say, how many of us, who, or who among us have had the joy, the privilege of knowing Christ, pick a number, for, for over 40 years? Just raise your hand. Fair amount of us. Today, imagine the Lord looking at you and saying, John, you blind hypocrite. Tyson, you blind hypocrite. Kyle, you blind hypocrite. Dave, you blind hypocrite. Rick, you blind hypocrite. Steve, you blind hypocrite. How's that hit you? Those of us who have walked with the Lord 40 years and have it all together. (laughs) Me? Yes, especially me. Because the minute I think, not me, glad I'm blind hypocrite, our hope is in humbling ourselves to the word of God spoken to us through our Lord here, saying, Lord, help me, help me. What if these Pharisees had turned out, we know how the story ends, but what if they had humbled themselves and said, Lord, you're right, I'm a blind hypocrite, help me. Um, What would have happened? And as I was thinking about that picture, I realized that's what God desires to happen in our midst today, even in these moments, that we would respond in humility and a prayer came to mind and so this is the action step out of this message and really the the culmination of our past couple Sundays and it's this simple prayer here's the challenge to be praying Lord would you clean me purify my heart clean me out that picture of the cup clean me out but would you fill me up with your love and then would you let the river flow so breaking that prayer down First, would you purify my heart? This is where we, the prayer of confession, but where God shines his spotlight on our pride and, and he is faithful to show us those areas that, that need to go, the pride in our heart. When he shows us that, maybe it's that, uh, that area of uh, just greed. You've been living for stuff and thinking stuff will satisfy. When he shows us that, it, it's confessing that to him. Lord, forgive me for that. And and he, he does a purifying work. He promises this in First uh, John chapter 1, verse 9, where he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's what only God can do. Can we clean ourselves up? Nope, it's got to be his work. But, but um, our part is to confess our sin, ask him for help, and he cleans our hearts out. Think about... Um, We've got greed, but we also have that pursuit of pleasure, and it's so easy to just get caught up in running from pleasure to pleasure, and when we realize, Lord, I'm not seeking you as my pleasure, confessing that, Lord, forgive me, purify my heart, let you be my great joy, my satisfaction. When he uh, shows us that we've been chasing, um, our, really, or glossing our image, living in hypocrisy, worried more about what's on the outside than what's on the inside, and more about impressing others than impressing him that uh, when he shows us that just Lord uh, forgive me purify me 
He is faithful to do that. And then the second part of the prayer, so he, we're, that picture of the cup, we clean out the cup or the dish through prayer, through confession, and then we ask, Lord, would you fill me up with your love? So clean me up, but fill me up with your love. And this is where we ask the Lord to replace our pride with his love and let every motive be fueled with a desire to please him and, and out of love for him and love for the people around us. What's neat about this prayer is that it's allowing access to the Holy Spirit into the parts of our heart that are tainted with pride. So how does this spiritual formation happen? And this is, I'll lay a quick spiritual formation foundation. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the, under the new covenant, this is the gift of the, the new covenant, we receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. Do you need any more of the Holy Spirit than what you already have? At the moment of conversion, you have all of him, you, you, and you are his temple. 1 Corinthians 6 says, we are the temple of, of the Holy Spirit. The question is, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? So, the calling of God in Ephesians 5.19 is this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's an interesting command. We're called, it's, we're to be active in it, but it's passive. We are to allow him to fill us. So this is really a prayer of surrender. It's saying, Lord, I want you to come into, I want you to come into every nook and cranny of my soul, every room in my heart, every place. And if you picture pride as mold in a, a bathroom setting, Lord, wherever there's this mold, would you just flow into that place? And in this prayer, I'm opening up my heart to you, my, every bit of my life to you. And, and what will he do? It's a prayer he delights to answer. The fruits of the Spirit are what? The first one is love, joy, peace, patience. All those he, he develops in us as we pray. Lord, would you fill me up? All right, now this leads to the, the last and the main point of the message and really the good news of the day. Third part of this prayer. So Lord, would you clean me out? Would you fill me up? And now, would you let the rivers flow? This is found in Matthew chapter, or, uh, John chapter 7, 37 to 39. It's Jesus speaking, and he says this. On the last day of the, of the festival, Jesus stood and in a loud voice. He said this. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant what? The Holy Spirit, whom those who had believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus has not been crucified, risen from the dead, ascended to heaven. And once he was there, he gave the, the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who trust in him. So that would be us. So let the rivers flow. Back to, to what Jesus just said. Let anyone who is thirsty. Now notice, who is it that, that he invites to come to him? It's anyone. It's not those who have it together. It's not those who are without doubt. It's not the, the religious elite. Anyone who is, what's the qualification to come to Christ? Thirsty. Thirsty for what? That's, he's speaking to the, the, the thirst of our soul. Thirsty for what we long for as humans. Love, belonging, hope, meaning, purpose, life, uh, freedom from these addictions. Thirsty, we know ultimately 
for God, to, to know Him and to walk with Him. Let anyone who is thirsty come where? To this uh, strategy, five-point strategy of how to resolve your thirst. To this uh, leader over here, these leaders who have got it together. To this great preacher of this great church. No, let anyone who is thirsty come where? To me. The centrality, sufficiency, soul-satisfying beauty of Jesus Christ our Lord. As this is it. He is everything. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and what? Take a sip? Have a glass full? Drink. Drink. Drink till your soul is satisfied. Psalm 1611, you did let you fill me with um, joy. The rivers of delight are found in a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. You say, well, what's it mean to drink? It means to believe, to enter into, through faith, enter into that intimate relationship with him. He says, whoever believes in me, as scriptures have said, and I love how he affirms scripture, the word of God, it will be fulfilled. Rivers of living water will flow from within him. So when we come to Christ and we drink, what happens? Are we satisfied? Oh, rivers. Not only, though, does he satisfy us, and this is the beauty of this picture, and we, as we pray, let the rivers flow. Here's the picture, you guys. When we come to Christ, we are satisfied, but then he makes us people who bring satisfaction to others as we point people to him, as we display his, share his gospel and display his gospel in how we live, and it looks like a river flowing through you and me. Where you have water, you have what? Life. We can't live without it. We drink it, we live. Where you have water, you have what? Life. Vegetation can't live without it. Where you have water. Flying out in Arizona. Remember looking out of the airplane window and I saw this green snake through the desert. What was it? A river. And what was by the river? Life. Ellis Park. Why is Ellis Park where it's at? It's because we love kids, yes, but that's not all. And I did not realize this until I heard the, uh, the folks from the, who uh, take care of our drinking water explain, when you come into a, a town is birthed based on a water source. And what you, how do you protect the water source? You put a park there. The aquifer that supplies water for us is under Ellis Park. Same with Plainfield, you go to different parks around our community. Where you have water, you have thriving community. Where you have water, you have a thriving family. Where you have a river flowing, you have a, a, uh, a thriving church. Where you have a river flowing, you have thriving relationships. This is the vision for your life and for mine, you guys. Does this not make you want to get out and get busy living? <laughs> and who creates the river? Is it something you do? No, it's the Holy Spirit through you. So all you have to do is show up in a desert and now there's life in that desert. There's a river flowing through that desert. People are enjoying being at that desert. It's an oasis in the desert because it's someone who prayed, Lord, cleanse me and fill me just showed up. Amen? Man, I saw the river flowing this week and I know you have as well as you watch the people around you, but through our church family, 
the basketball league. River was flowing in the gym the day Clayton was describing a couple of our seniors said, I want to play basketball to be a minister to my peers. One of those guys was standing on the free, along the free throw line as his buddy was shooting a game-winning free throw. All he had to do was hit one free throw, and they win the game. Clunk, air ball, and I think they went on to lose the game. His buddy, this guy who said, I want to be Christ to my friends, walked over to him put his arm around him and said, hey, man, it's all right. Competition and compassion. The river was flowing. I saw at 7.15 Tuesday morning in Pittsburgh, a school, Ryan Oppie, teacher, said, hey, man, let's start FCA here or, or keep it going. And um, almost 50 students gathered for donuts and games, but then a time to share the word of God with these elementary age kids. Um, river flowing in that school. I heard about a river flowing at a, around a dinner table this week and a small group who um, are carrying the burden, um, Love and Rachel, Cody through their time and, and uh, Dan and Lisa Vreeland have been kind of point people and continue to pray for, for uh, Cody and for Rachel. But uh, they gathered, hearts heavy. But there's uh, Dave and Sandy Wood cooking, and I mean Sandy can cook. And she cooked up a meal that was heaven for the heart, for, for the stomach, and ministered to the soul. And uh, the group there to support each other and pray for each other. And the river flows, you know. And so that's the vision as we respond to the, the word of our Lord. What if we all start praying this prayer today? Rivers of living water flowing through you to those around you. What he's describing here really is revival, isn't it? It's in each of our hearts. It starts with me, starts with you. Just praying, Lord, would you purify my heart, fill me with your love, and then let the river flow. I encourage you in this, as we wrap up, to picture a, uh, a farmer, older farmer, who had walked with God for many years, had grown kind of lukewarm in his pursuit of the Lord, and um, these truths landed heavy upon his heart, and these possibilities landed heavy upon his heart. And after the service, he went home and went out to one of his fields, and standing there in the dirt, picked up a stick and drew a circle in the dirt. And then he knelt down and he said, Lord, I'm not leaving this circle until revival starts with me. So Lord, purify my heart. Cleanse me from my pride. Fill me up with your love, fruits of the Spirit. And then as I get up and go, pour your life, giving grace and love through me to the people around me. And may that be our prayer for our own hearts today. May we draw that circle around us. And just even in these moments, we'll have Wes and Don come at this time and lead us in a prayer of prayer or a song of prayer and invite you in the quietness of your own heart just to respond and pray through these, um, this prayer. Offer this back to God as we worship.
stand before you now As honestly as I know how Broken by the days gone by Spirit help my soul to God says to the prodigal, my beloved one, you're welcome home. Your mercy triumphs over judgment. Love wider than who disease, but the great 
healing is of our hearts, isn't it? It's neat to think that's happening in real time, little by little, in His grace, helping us become like Him. Well, thank you for being here today, and this day marks a special day in my mind anyway, a day we'd probably like to forget, but this was the Sunday we shut her down for eight weeks as a faith family three years ago, and it just makes me want to say, we all need to just give each other a hug that we're all here. <laughs> just good to see you. And I'll never forget halfway through that thinking, man, is the church still here? Or is everybody gone? This is horrible. And I had that fear and there was a knock on the door and opened the door and there's a package. And it was uh, Jason and Rachel Speckman had given us a Notre Dame t-shirt. And that t-shirt still hangs in my closet. It will till the day I die. I'll pass that on to Chad. Um, just reminded me the church is still here and uh, will be. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.